0: Welcome to the Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more info, you can check us out on Facebook at Life Church of Columbia. That's why we do what we do, right there. Uh, so tonight we are gonna do. Uh, we're gonna just. It's gonna be like legit Bible study. You know what I mean? Like not a sermon, not a prepare you for this, not a this is what we are going to just dive in and break down some Bible stuff. Are you all ready? This kind of stuff excites me. So we're just going to nerd out on it. I even brought the whiteboard because it just feels more legit. Lindsay, I borrowed your whiteboard. Thank you. I didn't ask, but thank you. Uh, Actually, we've been doing on Sundays, we've been doing Life Academy and we got on a topic this past Sunday in Life Academy that I just could not get away from this week. Uh, I kept trying to just prepare like something totally different for the Wednesday night class, but I kept coming back to this. So I want to pull a little something out of life Academy and we're just going we're just going to work through it. Uh, so if you have a Bible, I, I didn't I told them in Life Academy when I'm teaching, I usually go to every scripture I'm going to use and I put a little tab sticking outside of my mouth so I can just flip to it really quick. Well tonight, since we're legit doing Bible study, I didn't cheat, so I'll have to look up all the scriptures just like you, okay? But I already went to the first one. It's Acts chapter two, uh, verse thirty-six. So we're gonna go to these scriptures tonight. We're gonna find them in the Bible, read them, see what's see what's up. All right. Acts chapter two, verse thirty-six. Oh man, Jason's helping y'all out big time. <laughs> I can't <see> it <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 36. This is actually just to give you context what's happening. We're in chapter 2. The the first church has just been birthed in the upper room. It's been incredible. The Holy Spirit has come, emboldened all them. Uh, It's it's been insane. They come out. Peter begins to preach his first message after this encounter. And we're just literally going to extract one scripture out and deal with this one scripture. Verse 36. Therefore, let all... The house of Israel know assuredly that God has made Jesus. I love that he throws in whom you crucified. It was your fault. You did it, by the way. Anyway, he made Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. I want you to say that. Lord and Christ. Did you know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? (laughs) I know we hear it always in conjunction to one another of Jesus Christ, but Christ is not actually his last name. Christ is actually, according to the scripture, a name given to him by God. He actually made him Christ. You see what I'm saying? So i want going to look at that tonight. I want to break some of these down, kind of show you what this is. But first, I need you to understand what's so important right here. This scripture is telling us that Jesus coming... From everything that he was, John chapter one tells us in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God and through him all things were created. It goes to this whole incredible thing. And all John is trying to set up and tell you is how absolutely divine and incredible Jesus was. We got into this a little bit Sunday, but I think we tend to never think about Jesus before he was born to Mary. You get what I'm saying? We always picture Jesus as totally incredible. I'm not trying to downplay his 33 years on earth, but most of our understanding of Jesus is always wrapped up in him being a man on earth and what he went through. But if you understand, Jesus was way before all that. Jesus has been God from the beginning. Jesus is, uh, there's actually a scripture we'll probably pull it out, where it lets us know that Jesus was equal to God, but thought not robbery to come and became a servant. And And so all these things, so I need you to get in your mind first and foremost that Jesus was sitting in heaven with the earth as his footstool when he decided to come and be born of a virgin and go through the process of being man on earth so that we could be delivered. I I don't think we grasp completely Jesus becoming man because we don't focus intently on him being God. You feel me on that? In other words, I think if we actually realized how exalted and high he was, it would give us a better understanding of how lowly he had to become. He had to humble himself so far just to allow himself to be born of a human being. And so when you start to understand this, it gives us a, not that I don't think we complete, completely wrap our minds around, but I think it should give us a, more of a reverence for not only who he is, but exactly how much he gave into obedience and humility to come here and do what he did for us, even unto death, uh, the Bible says. So I need you to get that picture of Jesus. Um, I had several places I wanted to go. John chapter 1 is a really good one. We're not going to go there just describing Jesus and who is. Colossians chapter 1, another one, where it just goes through telling you the fullness and the totality of how divine and amazing Jesus was, and he was willing to come down, do what he did, become what he was, especially when you take that understanding. I didn't plan on spending time here, but when you take that understanding and you connect it to he that knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that scripture should be enough scripture to motivate me constantly just that one, when I understand how high and lofty he was and how far down he had to come just to take my place and do what he did, that kind of, it just stirs me up. I, I absolutely love salvation. Amen. I don't know about you, but salvation saved my life. I know that sounds very cliche. But salvation saved me. I was... I was dumb. Oh, my gosh. Thank God for salvation. Uh, where are we at? Sorry, I got distracted with just thinking about it. was just amazing. I wouldn't have the kids I have today. I wouldn't. It would just, man. All right, let's look at this scripture. Acts chapter 2, verse 36. We have two words here that I want to look at. It literally says that God made Jesus Lord and Christ. Uh, I'm I'm guessing it's Wednesday night, it's midweek, core group, Bible study, so I just know you have your pen and paper, you're ready to take notes, because I got some cool words to give you. The first word we're going to look at is, he made him Lord. That's the word kurios. That's how I pronounce it. You can pronounce it however you want to. Kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. K U R I O S. It also it also really looks like curious. Yeah, say, yeah. Curious is the word for Lord here, and it means supreme in authority. This is why in a lot of situations you would hear them refer to kings as my Lord. That's not a divine reference that is a positional reference supreme in authority to be lord is not in other words it doesn't mean that they're god it means that they're in a position of supreme authority that's why in the bible it says that abraham was lord of his house doesn't mean he was god of his house (laughs) it means he was supreme authority so we see here uh Peter is letting them know God made Jesus the supreme authority. Like he is top dog, no one else above him. Second, he made him to be Christ. This is the word Christos, which means anointed one. Christos, not crisco Christos is anointed one. And this got me to thinking, and I don't really have the proper answer for this. I just like this kind of stuff, so I'm going to throw it out to you. Was Jesus anointed before he came to earth? If the anointing is for the work of the ministry, why would he need need to be anointed before he came? (laughs) I'm telling you, I don't have the right answer. I'm just saying it's really something to think about. Cause why would you need to be anointed? Why would you need to be anointed in heaven? I'm just I'm just saying. I didn't say I had an answer. I just like that kind of stuff. Is he, or is the Holy Ghost the anointing? Oh, I see. See, I got, I got Sister Kathy on my side. Then what was happening when the dove ascended upon him? He wasn't. I love this. Like I said, I don't have the answer. I just want it to bug you all night long. If it's if something in this Bible is not bugging you to the fact that you can't figure it out, you're not studying enough. Christos, the anointed one. So God made him anointed. I'm just leaving it out there for y'all. So God made Jesus both supreme authority and the anointed one. Sister Kathy's probably way ahead of me. She was with us Sunday. This was fun. Jesus became both supreme authority and the anointed one. So one way you would see this referenced is he became both king and prophet. Why is this important? And, and what I want to do tonight, for the sake of when you're taking notes, if you go back and study this out, I want to put prophet and priest somewhat in the same category. We're just going to see them as used by God, anoint, the anointed one, in other words, okay? So Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Let's go there. Let's check it out. Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 31. We are going to look at... Jesus being represented as both of these things. Jesus as supreme authority. This is when the angel is telling Mary she's going to have a baby, what they're going to name him, all that stuff. Luke 1:31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and, sh- and shall call his name Jesus. Not Jesus Christ, just Jesus. Uh, 32. I don't know how far I'm going, Jason. I should look at this. Uh, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him. That's the one I'm looking for. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. This. You have a question? What's that? I like that. (laughs) Right. And actually in that, I don't know for sure that it says he was filled with spirit. It just says he leapt in his mother's womb. So it was a response to what he felt in Jesus. But I see where you're going. I like it. I like all these perspectives. This is what's fun to me. If you're not doing this with the word, man, this is what's fun. So why do we read this? This is the picture of God placing Jesus in supreme authority. David's throne is considered to be the greatest throne ever to be on the earth. No one has ever accomplished or pulled off what David did. So when he said, I'm going to give him David's throne, well, to a Eastern culture who lived under this type of tutelage, knew in their mind immediately, to us that sounds like, Okay, cool, he's going to fulfill the prophecy because David was a great king. To them, that says he's going to be the greatest king to ever be on the earth. You have to understand how they would process what they're hearing in the moment. To us, it doesn't mean as much as far as kings and thrones. We don't really deal in that area. But I need you to see it from where they would see it. So when the angel prophesies and tells her, I will give him the throne of his fathers, David, his father David, We see that as Jesus being placed in the supreme, ultimate authority. You with me? You following me? You still tracking? And that is dealing completely with being a king here, sitting on a throne. Okay? Next we see priest and prophet. It says he made him to be both lord, supreme authority, king, and Christos. Christ, the anointed one, where we would see the priest or the prophet. I want you to write down three scriptures. I'm not going to go to all three of them. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. I'm trying to really take my time here. But I'm just really, this is so fun. 1 Timothy 2 and 5, Mark 6 and 4. And then I've already alluded to this one a few times. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Jason, will you give me, though? There's one of them. Let's go ahead and read it. He's already got it up. Uh, Which one? 1 Timothy. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This is showing Christ taking the position of what a priest would have been. Priests were the mediator for our sins in the Old Testament. This is showing him... Can you also give me the second one, Jason? Mark 6 and 4. These are just proof scriptures. These are just proving what we're declaring right now about Jesus. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except for in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. This is Jesus actually referring to himself as a prophet. The one and only time where Jesus refers to himself as a prophet. So here we see Jesus... Being established, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 36, God is making him to be both Lord and Christ. Lord being supreme authority or king, Christ being the anointed one, the priest, the prophet. Why am I so hung up on this and why do I keep telling you this tonight? Because Jesus was the fulfillment of all Old Testament system. All the foreshadowing and the types and the looking for things to come, it was all to come in Jesus. When he stepped on the scene, scene, he became the fulfillment of every mystery and misunderstood prophecy, everything they had talked about. If you go back and study every system, every design, every plan, every tribe, it was all, everything was just pointing to Jesus. It was all what we would say Christocentric. It all evolved around and revolved around just Jesus. They were just trying to get to this Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what the whole thing was about. Here is what's just cool about this. Like I said, tonight is just straight up. We're just going to learn cool Bible stuff. okay? In the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, we'll say. In the Old Testament, one person could not be both. A single person could not be king and prophet couldn't have it both in one. It was a position that was prophesied to be reserved for one person, and that is Jesus Christ. So that is why if you go back and you look in the crazy Old Testament through all the wild stories and the thing that's in there that makes it so, so amazing, this is what you're going to see. And I brought my board just because it's fun and I want to use it, okay? But I'm a visual learner, so this helped me, so I wanted to help you. So we're going to say Old Covenant... If you can read that, Old Covenant, you had two—the two things we see in Jesus—that God made Jesus King and Prophet. In the Old Testament, this could never be the same person. They couldn't operate in one of these They couldn't operate in both of these gifts. This is why you see, let's say, King David. Was king. Who was the prophet? Nathan. Started as Samuel. Ended up being Nathan. So this is how it operated. One man had to be supreme authority. Another man had to be the anointed one. They couldn't be the same in one person. David came the closest that anyone ever came to it. But even David had to have a prophet. He had to have the anointed one. What I want you to see about the Old Testament is the way this was set up when these two operated together. When they were in sync with one another, Israel or Judah, whichever one at the time, did well. They prospered. Side note, if these two could do well now, we would prosper. You feel me? But what I'm showing you is When these two did well, you see the nation of Israel triumph. They're conquering, they're winning, they're taking territory, they're doing amazing things. When these two did not, so for instance, if you had, uh, I wrote a bunch of them down, but I didn't mark which is which. Uh, I'm not going to try to name a bunch of them. So for instance, you would have a king come in and the Bible would say, and he did not serve the Lord their God. He did not go in the ways of the law. He did not, whatever it may be. So what that meant was that didn't mean there was no prophet at the time. It just meant this side wasn't working with the prophet. Uh, one One of the scriptures we like to use, one of the stories is when the prophet came to the king or the king actually sought him out. And this is how it worked in the Old Testament. A lot of times when the kings wanted to take territory or move forward or do anything, they would call for a prophet and they would wait for a word from God. So what would happen, and then we have, like, one of my favorite stories is when the king asked about going and taking land. He was about to die. He was getting old or whatever. And the prophet said, take the arrows, strike them on the ground. Well, the king decided to operate in less of a way than the prophet. And therefore, his success was determined by how much he listened to the prophet. You see what I'm saying? This is how it had to operate in the Old Testament. The prophet even though he was the anointed one, did not have supreme authority. He couldn't call the shots. He couldn't make the decisions. That's why you see the nation of Israel do like this. Up and amazing, conquering, doing great, crash and burn, go into captivity, ruin it all. Because even though they always had a prophet, they didn't always have someone in supreme authority who was listening to the prophet. And you can trace every time they fail, every time they went into captivity, every time they they messed up. It's because someone in supreme authority chose not to listen to the prophet. So all of this in the Old Testament is painting a picture that's coming in the New Testament. And I'm going to show you a couple different examples of that. Uh, Just a few so you'll have them. King Saul had the prophet Samuel. David had Nathan. Hezekiah had Isaiah. Josiah had Jeremiah. Uh, These are all king-prophet duos we see throughout the Bible that did well. Let me show you something that was really interesting that I found out. You do realize that at one point, the nation of Israel became divided, right? And you had Judah and you had Israel. When these were divided... Judah, out of, the king, out of all the kings that Judah had, nine of them operated well with the prophet. Nine. In Judah's kingdom, nine did well with the prophet, and Judah prospered and did amazing. Israel, once they divided, in all the years of being divided, had one, and before he died, he turned bad. That's the difference. Let me show you something pretty incredible about this. Judah had nine good kings who operated well with the prophet. Israel had one. Israel went into captivity 136 years earlier than Judah. Why? Because this worked well. This supreme authority was taking advice from the anointed one. That's how this thing is designed to be set up. So God has set up a system. He's divine. He is. Dis, dis, designed a way that works, and we see it in the Old Testament. When the supreme authority is giving way to the word of the anointed one, you prosper. The Bible teaches us in the New Testament, and I know I'm already getting ahead of myself, this right here is a picture of salvation. Right? You get saved, and you are filled with The anointed one. At salvation, it says at the moment of salvation, you are filled with the anointed one. But the anointed one does not have supreme authority in your life. You feel me? You know who has supreme authority? This. This makes the decisions. This gives the prophetic word. This decides what I'm going to do with it. So if our life looks like Israel, I can tell you why. Because at some point, you were listening to this side, and at some point, you were doing what this side wanted to do. So it's still like this today, and what happens is we find ourselves in a lot of positions and a lot of situations where we don't prosper like we could have because these are not on the same page. The whole Old Testament was pointing to this moment, and at this moment comes through Jesus Christ before we could be in a position where this is even a choice. Because in the Old Testament... A single individual didn't have this. The nation of individual people, they didn't have this. All they had was themselves. And because they only had themselves once a year, they had to bring a goat and kill it and sacrifice and do all that thing. In other words, they didn't have it in them to be what God had called them to be. That's why we get the prophetic word of, I'll remove your stony heart and put in a heart of flesh What's he trying to say? I'm bringing a new covenant, and in this new covenant, you're going to get to have both of these operating inside of you at one time. They didn't have that in the old covenant. So why is the gospel the good news? This is why it's the good news, because now we each individually get our own prophet. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will guide you in all truth. What did the prophet do in the Old Testament? He guided the nation in all truth. New Testament. New Testament. After Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit comes. Now each of us have a prophet living inside of our kingdom. And how successful we are rides on how much advice we will take from the prophet. This is why you see, and and it usually goes in extremes, especially in the Old Testament. Uh, I say the Old Testament, even up into the Gospels you see it where kings who were just dead set at doing it their way and only their way, and would not listen to the prophet. And a lot of prophets paid the price because they consistently would say, this is the truth. This is the truth. And they would not change. Do you want to know that's when you're... (laughs) How do I say this? When you're not wanting to do it his way, the most annoying person in your life is your internal prophet called the Holy Spirit. Right? You should really shut your mouth and not talk, but I really should tell them this. No, you should really shut your mouth and not talk, but I have something to say. You should really delete that post and not put it on there. But if they knew what I was thinking, you see what I'm saying? So in reality, just like a king who wanted to do it his way, the prophet became annoying and Old Testament's just straight hood. So they would just kill him or throw him to an animal or something insane. Thank God it's not that way now. But you see what I'm saying? It's still the same design that even though in the Old Testament it was two totally different people and they were guiding one nation, now it's these two in one person guiding your individual nation. Because if you go back and break down the word nation, it actually means mindset. So most of our mindsets are jacked up because this has stopped listening to this. Man, that's just fun stuff right there, ain't it? New Testament design. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Let's go to that one. I'm not even going to turn there now because Jason's making it so easy. 1 Peter 2 and 9. Some of you may know this scripture by heart. You could probably quote it. Maybe once I see it, you are like, oh, yeah, that one. But you, this is New Testament now after Jesus Christ, are a chosen generation... And a, these are two totally different sectors. Before Jesus Christ, that word phrase did not exist. Before Jesus Christ, there was no such thing as a royal priesthood. Royal is positional, it's kingdom, it's rule, it's reign. It is not divine, it is not heavenly, it is not any of those things. It is purely a positional ruling supreme authority. Priesthood is the anointed one. All of a sudden, we get catapulted into something where now we have the opportunity to be a kingly priest. Where the king who is in supreme authority is working hand in hand with the prophet who is the anointed one. And when that happens, we look like Israel on a good day. We conquer, we win, we're victorious, We're not in captivity, we're not in slavery, we're not bound to things. We're not up one day and down the next. It's all about the um, there's a good word there, co-laboring of these two things. The Old Testament is painting this incredible picture of a man who would come and create something that had never been seen on earth. So in the, in the New Testament, Peter comes out on a ledge and begins to preach this amazing sermon. And he gets to verse 36. Now imagine in your mind, you're one of the people there listening, so you've been raised in an Eastern culture that's been king after king after king. You know the prophet, especially if you were raised... Like most of these in a religious setting, you've studied all the Old Testament prophets. You, you know exactly how it's all worked, how it was set up, how it was designed. You've already processed all that. You don't have to learn that. And Peter comes out and says, God made the Jesus you crucified both Lord and Christ. Well, their minds, because of the culture they were raised in, immediately know Peter's saying, He made him to be both supreme authority as the best king to ever rule and the anointed one, the prophet who would give advice. And they were both in the same person. And they would know immediately this has never been seen before. It's never been done before. Only the Messiah, only the one prophesied about through years and years of prophecy could be this one who has both. And we see Jesus operate perfectly as both king and priest. And in doing so, he later on says, And the authority which I have I now give unto you. Go, do all those incredible things. Which leads us, that means Peter was taught at some time while he was with Jesus Christ, he was taught the reality of living as both king and priest something that until this time was actually impossible. No one got to do that. And he starts bringing this brand new revelation. And then you take that and translate that into the spirituality of your own individual lives. You have been given the privilege to operate and live within your own kingdom as king and priest. As supreme authority in your life, which we love that part, but also as the anointed one who is hearing the word of God and declaring it to the king. I think this is what's so important. Sister Beth, she gives me lots of scriptures, and she's always promoting me to declare the word, say it, speak it. Uh, She's actually the one that motivated me. I have scriptures at the bottom of my mirror about family and children and just trying to. And so when I begin studying this, I begin to see the power of the prophet has to declare it to the king. So if we take that and wrap it up in our own personal lives, of our own personal mindset and kingdom, how important is it to take the word of God, whether you get it from here or you get it spoken to you in prayer, however it comes to you, and declaring it to your kingdom. Declaring it to the supreme authority in your life. Because as much as it sounds really good to say that the prophet is supreme authority in my life, that's not actually how it's designed. The prophet in your life, which I hope you're catching this, the Holy Spirit, is coming and declaring truth. But he cannot forcefully cause you to do anything. The Bible actually says that the spirit is subject to the man. So what you have to understand is the Holy Spirit will not come on you and force you to be a good person. He will not come on you and force you to do whatever it is that God has decided or planned or prepared for your life. What he will do is is stand boldly and declare the truth to you. And if you will allow the spirit in you to declare this truth to you, the king or queen, the, the the ruler of your kingdom, you know what I mean? If you will allow that to happen, that is what makes you puts you in the position to begin to agree with, to listen to, to count on the prophet. What's amazing is if you go through and and, and study some of these king and prophet duos. Some of the kings so understood this that they didn't do anything without asking the prophet. They were constantly send word to the prophet, go find the prophet. And the prophet, of course, was weird. He was probably in some cave hiding, eating something strange. You're like, why do you want this dude's opinion? You know what I mean? But they knew he was the anointed one and they knew I couldn't make a move until I've heard from the anointed one. So the challenge is in a New Testament, in a new covenant, in the New Covenant, where now this has become one, in us, are we allowing the Prophet to make the decisions, to give us advice, to declare things into us? Are we allowing it to operate from this way? Because look at it this way. If this was Old Covenant, this is how it operated in the Old Covenant. I drew my line too far. That's Old Covenant. You can't have both in one, right? Jesus comes and goes through everything he went through. 33 and a half years on earth, persecution, death, resurrection. All that Jesus went through so that we could have a new covenant. The Bible says based on better promises. A better covenant with better promises. The new covenant all of a sudden becomes one I'm going to do it like this, maybe. All of a sudden, the new covenant, because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, this becomes one. So these begin to operate together. Do you realize to go back to operating in an old covenant is to undo everything Jesus went through to get us to this point? Oh, that's so good. It's falling from the grace. Take not this grace in vain that has been given to you where you actually have the opportunity for in your personal life for both of these entities be operating as one, simultaneously cooperating together to advance the kingdom like we've seen it intended to be in David's time. That was the goal. That was the design. Jesus understood that, we had, that he had to get us to a place where we were able to operate in both of these within our own kingdom, our own realm, just within us. So he gives us the privilege of each of us having our own prophet within us, declaring, thus says the Lord over your life. But how often are we, like the good kings, saying, I'm not moving on this until I hear from the Holy Spirit. I'm not doing this till I hear from the Holy Spirit. Or I have to move in this because the Holy Spirit. I have to move in this direction. I have to do this thing. i got to move in this way because I know if this is the truth that he's given me, this is the best way. Even if that way seems insane. <laughs> Even if that way seems totally outside of any wisdom that you could personally come up with. We have to lean back into this to understand when the anointed one is giving you the truth of Abba, of his direction, his guidance, that's the way we must go. If not, our lives start looking a whole lot like Israel. You know, it's, it's crazy to me because that actually is the most common response when you ask someone about their church. Well, you know, it's it's up and down and they come and go. And and that's actually that's actually a witness of an Old Testament system that failed. And we're just hanging on to it and we're just using it as, oh, well, that's just the way it is. And that's the way it's always going to be. And that's the way it's happened. But what about in the Old Testament when this was operating the way it was designed to? Better yet, what about in the New Testament in the new covenant? when it was working and operating like it was supposed to. I don't want to get caught up in the, we like what the prophet has to say, so we're excelling today, but I don't like what he has to say later and we're crashing tomorrow. I don't want to keep living in that, and I don't want to be stuck. I don't want a church body to be stuck in a system That goes from captivity to freedom, captivity to freedom, captivity to freedom. That's stuck in these cycles of we're up and then we're down and we're up and then we're down. Life is always going to do that. Life's going to throw you a good hand and then the next deal, it's going to be the worst you've ever seen. That's just life. But that doesn't mean we do the same. We have to find that place where we're living in a consistency. Where I'm so connected to the prophet within me. I'm so connected to the Holy Spirit and the truth that he's declaring over my kingdom that I just remain in that. And I stay in that. It says that the... Oh, man, it just, it just left me. The His kingdom, there is no end. The scripture. Wow. Anyway, it's talking about Jesus. And it says, and the... What is the word there? Come on, inner prophet, give it to me. Uh, Anyway, his kingdom, it don't end. It's awesome. God, I want that scripture so bad. Like, I can taste it. Yeah, I'll probably know it after you all walk out of the room. I'll be calling, hey, that scripture, I remembered it. Why didn't I write that down? Isaiah. There it is. The increase of his government, there will be no end. Do you understand the magnitude? Because remember, all prophecy in the Old Testament, every system was pointing towards Jesus, this king that was coming who would also be a priest. And of his government, his kingdom, his rule, the increase never ends. Why have we so settled for a kingdom whose increase is always up one day and down the next? Up one day and down the next. And I feel like we've just bought into it because it's easier to buy into it. It was easier for Israel to just go along with the motion sometimes. And this is just the way it goes. And this is the way it is. But I don't want to just buy into that. And I don't want to just settle for that. I want to figure out, God, how do we come to that place where they're both operating correctly and of the the increase of his government, there is no end? Do you realize that when David was operating under the will and the unction of God, Teeming with a godly prophet that at one point there was no end to the increase of his kingdom. It just kept going and kept going and kept going. And then he thought, I'm gonna count everybody. And that was a bad idea, and it kind of came back a little bit, you know what I mean? Uh but you see what I'm saying? I, I want us, I want us to be so, so motivated in this area to think bigger than this. You know what I mean? Like. I'm, 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 I'm doing some writing and some preparing for Life Academy and I've went back and pulled an, old, uh, an older like four-week course that I wrote and did one time and it was on fruitfulness and how the Bible actually tells us that we're never supposed to be without bearing fruit. But we've just bought into the idea that I go through seasons where I don't bear fruit. When in reality the Bible says we go through seasons, we just figure out how to bear fruit in every season. Do you see the connection there? David went through some crazy, insane moments, but as long as he was connected to the, author, to the uh, anointed one, as long as he was in the will of God, it kept producing, it kept growing. Then he would go through some of the same moments where he didn't want to listen or he didn't want to be connected in the moment, and we see him not produce the fruit he'd intended. We see him not being the king he was intended to be. Do you, are you starting to see the parallels of our life today? And how God took what was an entire kingdom with one man as a king, one man as a prophet. He took all of that and through Jesus Christ bottled it up and put it just in you. And said, all this you see happening, it's all happening inside of you. Now instead of it being some physical, natural kingdom on the outside of you, it's a spiritual, internal kingdom that's happening inside of you. And the advancement of that kingdom, the increase of that government, there should be no end. The Bible says you should actually be going from glory to glory and faith to faith. It never says glory to glory and then back one glory and then two glories forward and then let your faith come back. That was never the intentions. You see, it's always this. It's always growing. It's it's almost like this. When a kid has to repeat a grade... We don't celebrate that. I'm, I'm trying to be this as nice as possible. I'm not, I'm not taking shots at anyone. I mean, lots of kids get held back for different reasons. But what I'm saying is, you don't have a graduation for a kid that has to go back through a grade. Does that make sense? But I feel like in the church, we've just become okay with it. Oh, you're going through first grade again? Oh, you'll get it this time. You know what I mean? And there's no, like, bro, <laughs> You look kind of funny sitting in that kid's desk. You're 30 now. You know what I'm saying? Like like there's not that, you feel me? And 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 I want that motivation. I want that thing within us that says this kingdom is supposed to advance. This kingdom's designed to grow. And God took the example of an entire physical kingdom, wrapped it all up, put it inside of each of us individually, and still said the same thing. This thing's supposed to grow and grow and advance. Governing body. Yes, ma'am. That's so good. That's and as a matter of fact, that's actually why I started it like I did. I love that you you brought that out. I started it like that of you have to so understand who Jesus was in heaven, what he humbled himself down to be, what he went through and accomplished, and what it did for us. You know what I mean? It didn't just, even though one of the greatest things it was, was your salvation. Like, thank God for your salvation. But it wasn't just for that. He was creating an entire kingdom, an entire possibility, and he was taking all that and putting that in you. And then he was saying, now all my authority. I love I love when he says, when he's praying to the Father, and he says, oh, by the way, you know, all the authority you gave me, I just gave it to them. Like, I love that in the prayer. He's just throwing out that, oh, hey, Dad, by the way, you know, you gave me the keys and I just gave it to them. You know what I mean? Like, there's this understanding that he went through all that to get that to me. Like, he went through everything he went through to try to get it to me. And I want to take it, and I don't want to take it in vain. Like, I so want to know that, that this inside of me is operating correctly. You know what I mean? That, that when the prophet is saying, you shouldn't say that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go there. I'm abiding in that. and I'm saying, okay, I agree. I agree with you, and for the sake of the kingdom, I'm not going to make this decision outside of you. And on the other side, when he's not telling me not to do something, but he's telling me to do something, I understand that for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the kingdom that's within me and around me, like I want to operate in in oneness. You know what I mean? I want to be in that oneness where these two are operating correctly. I want to see I want to see the kingdom that David seen in the natural I want to see that kingdom happen in me in the spiritual. You had a question? John chapter 15 So good. It's it's that It's that understanding of staying, that's the word that it uses in there, staying so connected to it that that whatever I'm getting, it's coming from him. The decisions are coming from him. Jesus was a great example because he said, I don't say anything and I don't do anything. I don't hear the Father saying and I don't hear the Father doing. That's how it has to operate in our life. These kings that were crazy successful, it's because they didn't do or say things that they didn't hear or see the prophet doing. That's what it's calling for us. It's the New Testament design of an Old Testament principle. And can I tell you, when it's done right, when the two are operating like they should, and you're living a life in the Spirit, by the Spirit, of the Spirit, for the kingdom, I'm convinced that the increase of his government will have no end. I am convinced that it will take you farther than you ever thought you could go and give you more influence than you ever thought you had and have a greater impact than you ever thought could happen when these two are operating in the level that they were intended to, in the way that they were intended to. Exactly, which is, that's what I've always said about revival. Corporate revivals always follow individual revivals. It has to happen within us. There has to be this example. There has to be this thing happen within us individually where we're operating like this, and it begins to change a corporate setting. That's the way this thing is designed to be. That's the way it's designed to look, and I'm after it. I want it. I want it so bad. I don't want to go back and repeat myself from Sunday, but I'm telling you, I want the real expression Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want the real expression of his kingdom so bad I can taste it. When I pray, there's a there's a there's just a fervency, there's something there that's just pushing me a little further than I believe it ever has before. And it's pulling me into something that's saying, I want to see it the way he intended it to be. I want to feel it like he intended it to be. Can I pray with (laughs) y'all? I am just, I'm so overwhelmed. I hope you enjoyed tonight. I hope maybe you got something out of it. I did the board just because it's fun and I like to draw and stuff. Uh, But I like the opportunity. (laughs) I like the opportunity to just take the scripture for what it is and break it down and see what it's trying to give you. So I'm hoping tonight you let the scripture give you something that you can take and apply it to your life. And see it change. Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your word. It is so full of life. It's 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 fun. I, I don't know another word for it right now, God, but it's just fun. It stirs me deep. Uh, to just take your word and unlock it and understand it and see what you were trying to get to us. So tonight I pray you just take this teaching tonight, uh, uh, just just plant it deep within us. Give us the hunger and the desire to go and search it out, unpack it, unlock it. All the depths and the the hidden secrets and mysteries that are in it God, we want to unlock them all. We want to exhaust everything you have for us in this revelation. And tonight we pray that you begin to help us Holy Spirit, to align our with what the inner prophet, with what you're saying to us, the the absolute truth that you're bringing us, that we, as the supreme authority, would begin to understand the importance of of coming in line with the word of truth, with the prophet that is within us, Father. I thank you for it, and I thank you for the effect that it's going to have on this family, and when this family has been affected, this community, and so forth, Father, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. I love you guys. You're Thank you for listening to this live church.